And we are back with another episode of Ladies First. I'm Corey. I'm joined by my co-host, Elizabeth. And today we have a special guest. Lisa, hello. Yay. So, Elizabeth, what are we going to talk about today? Today, we're going to talk about an issue near and dear to many of our hearts, queer baiting. And also, what does this term even mean anymore? So, queer baiting is... A term that's probably older than I am, honestly. Um, so, queer baiting. Um, so, I think queer the baiting term, is. It's evolved, so maybe we want to define it like kind of what it originally meant. Yes. Sorry. The reason why I'm struggling to define it is that. Um, it has sort of changed definitions, especially in about the last five years, it's changed definitions significantly. Mm-hmm. But so what the term originally meant uh, was that a show would hint at the possibility of a canonical queer relationship, but had zero intention of making good at the, on this. Now, there is also a, a few additional caveats to this, because it isn't just hinting at a queer relationship that won't happen. It has to do with the specific intentions behind this. Mm-hmm. So one of the major factors in queer banning is something that you would often see in the 90s and early 2000s was that it was played for laughs. So that they would hint that two characters were, two same-sex characters were attracted to each other, but then if they did kiss it, would be played off as like a funny moment with the laugh track, which, you know, was very jarring for young queer people because you'd be sort of like, why is this funny? Well, and if I can comment really quick, I think for me being the eldest out of all of us, and again, you're making y'all are making me feel like the fandom grandma here. I'm not that old. <laughs> um, but you know, I'm on the opposite end of the millennial spectrum than you know the younger end. And for me, you know, that's what queer baiting meant because that's kind of the television I grew up with. So. I know when I refer to queer baiting, I'm using it with a certain context. So when I see it on the tumblers or the <laughs> tweeters, you know, uh, and I hear it thrown around, I'm kind of, you know, it's confusing for me because, you know, that's the context I grew up with. And I'm glad we're having this conversation because, you know, Lisa and Elizabeth, you guys have talked about it and you're right, the context I think for people who are younger than I am means something entirely different. So there's this bridge, I think, that we need to somehow kind of build versus, you know, like my lived experience with queer baiting versus, you know, somebody who came up with glee. (laughs) It's confusing. um, No, I agree. You're making it sound like there's a huge difference between your ages and there really isn't. (laughs) See, but that's what's funny is because Lisa and I are, are we're, we're only like a year apart and then Corey, you're like what four years older than we are but there yeah. actually is a little but the funny thing is is that's not very much time but in terms of queer culture that's actually long enough to be a pretty big generation gap because things have changed so dramatically yeah i i guess i didn't watch glee so i did <laughs> <laughs> i know but i mean it is confusing you know where yes. I'm confused, and I am on, I'm not that old, but I'm on the older spectrum, and it's confusing when I talk to 
younger millennials or Generation Z people even. So, I like, as a fandom, I think it's confusing. Just for the record, I'm 29. I am about the youngest, some of the youngest millennials. Like, anybody who's younger than 25 is Generation Z. Just, like, gotta throw that out there. Millennials does not mean young person. It actually refers to a specific generation <laughs> of people. If you are not old enough to remember 9-11 happening, you are not a millennial. <laughs> That's about what the cutoff is. Also, yes. if you have negative nihilism versus positive nihilism, you might say that's the difference. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So when we talk about queer baiting, we actually we actually can split it into three distinctive categories to make it, especially the, the modern version of it, to make it a little easier to understand. So there's queer baiting, what I just explained. There's fan service, and then there's queer coding. Hmm. So, fan service is actually one that has a lot of ambiguity to it. Um, it's very much a your mileage may vary sort of thing. But what fan service is in concept is when the show acknowledges a ship or a fan theory without... Because this isn't always about shipping. Sometimes this can be about fan theories. Uh, it's where it acknowledges it without mocking it. Just sort of like a shout out to we're aware that this is a thing and we appreciate it, but it's not going to be something that's going to be canon in the show. So, actually, the best example that I've seen of this just happened pretty recently was Gina and Rosa on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, where Gina says to Rosa, you know, in another in another lifetime, we would have made a kick-ass couple. And mm -hmm. Rosa goes, yeah. And, because this is an acknowledgement that Gina and Rosa has been a pretty long-standing, popular, non-canon ship on the show for several seasons. And I consider this fan service because it's an acknowledgement, because Gina is married to another character in the show. Um, so it's an acknowledgement that, yes, this is a ship, and this is something that actually probably would work out quite well, but the show just isn't doing it. And I felt like it was sort of a nice way of them just sort of gently saying, hey, we see you, but it's not going to happen. Well, and I think Glee did that. I know Lisa didn't watch Glee, <laughs> but I, I distinctly remember season six of Glee where Rachel is trying to get Kitty to come back to the Glee club. And oh. Kitty even says, oh, you're going something like full Leslie. Everybody thought that would have been you and Quinn Fabray. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like, honestly, half the conversations that that Quinn and Rachel had passed about season three were some some matter of fan service. True. Okay. But I mean, so I think the difference here, though, is the intent behind it. Yes. Okay, uh, uh, hang on. Quick question. What do you think about Beck-Chloe and Pitch Perfect? I know, I don't think any of us have seen the third one, but I'm pretty sure they still, I, you know, they don't end up together, so. I was That's okay actually a great it. example. I was okay with it until the marketing team. Yeah. It was like, oh, will Beckelow ever get together? And I'm like, why, why did you do that? There was, you know you what? could have been fine in the clear and then you did that. You know, I have to say, Lisa, that's actually a really good example of where the line can be drawn. And also a great example of how it can be both depending upon how because the the problem with these terms is a lot of them are based in authorial intent mm -hmm. and that's you know we don't have any control over that um, it's also an in interpretation i think and also in maybe how gullible you are <laughs> no offense no that's true like there is there is a certain element of see that's 
I don't want to feel like I'm like I'm making fun of people like young, really young people, but you often see younger teens who haven't had a lot of experience with queer media are often the ones who are genuinely disappointed when something doesn't happen or rather that they didn't have some on see this is the thing is like being a queer fan makes you jaded because on some level after a certain point you stop expecting these things to happen and so because like my my theory on life is is if i go into everything with zero expectations i can only be pleasantly surprised or rather explains a lot yes (laughs) well thanks thanks sweetie thanks sweetie if you've got that extra four years of you know media viewership that i have it was Mm -hmm. you never expected it in the first place yeah because Corey, you are of the the major queer coding generation where almost pretty much all of the media was only queer coding there was no representation right i mean i i came of the if there were any kind of like i say queer because again it's my generation type of thing like my end of the millennial where i grew up with um but as far as like the media we had you kind of knew if it was gonna be a queer relationship you just automatically knew it was never gonna work out because for so many years that's the only way you got it mm-hmm. so this whole and it thing was a about issue. like queer people yeah. getting a happy ending is very i if you're younger, you don't understand it because you kind of grew up with it. But if you didn't grow up with it and suddenly it's here, that's actually relevatory. Yes. Quite remarkable. Yeah. Um, I have to say, the end of Glee, like with Kurt and Blaine and Brittany and Santana getting married, that was genuinely shocking at the time. Yeah. And this was only, like, three or four years ago. Just to sort of, like, to, like, put things in perspective. Because we had, like, we had, like, the whole, um, the Lexa deserves better movement. And, like, all of the the queer characters who were killed off. And we sort of had a renaissance after that. Because I feel like networks sort of learned their lesson with these mass deaths. Um, (laughs) But this is all, like, really recent. And you sort of, like, even I occasionally forget... That even just, like, five years ago, I had, like, two shows to pick from, and now I have enough to where I can actually say, I don't want to watch a few of these shows. Yeah, Yeah. do you know how many queer women are on uh, CW shows right now? I have a feeling you're about to tell me. A lot. (laughs) Well, I I was just talking about uh, this with Sahara earlier today, and I kind of dawned on me the amount of choices I have of just CW alone of, yeah, this is for me, not for me. Because I realized Rosario Dawson and Yale Groveglass, their characters, are getting it on on Jane the Virgin. And I was really outraged oh I God. didn't know this because it's Rosario Dawson. Um, I know. I know. I saw the gift sets and I, I sort of like had, had one of those moments where I was like, is this real? Please let it be real. Yeah, but, you know, for us, like, the options we have on just one network of like, mm, this show's for me. No, this show's not for me. I might like this show. I might want to read a little bit more about this one. Like that's actually, nuts. I just I just stumbled on another important thing that I just said is the uh, my thought at seeing the gift sets are these real? This is actually mm-hmm. another important thing that sort of ties into the way that queer baiting has evolved. This actually isn't on my outline, but I thought of it. Is that um, a lot of queer content we used to just have to create it ourselves, like, and we got very good at it. <laughs> like there are wizards. Yeah. 
like, honestly, there are Faberry gifts out there where, I mean, you have to take a magnifying glass to them to see that they aren't actually from the show. Yeah. So I... that actually complicates things because oftentimes people coming into shows will only see the fan content and not realize that it's not canon. And because we, because we, so this is sort of like a holdover also from like the, how big the Glee fandom was is that we would often say Faberius canon. It wasn't literally, but what we mean is, is that there was so much evidence that it should be that we just sort of say, well, Faberius canon. And this is a carryover from like the queer coding era. The problem is, is now we end up having actual canon ships but this language still exists and so we have a problem where shows that don't actually have canon queer rep get lumped in together with ones that do simply because the fandom is so strong and there's so much fan content yeah I, can we take yeah a and then minute? we're almost like queer baiting ourselves right can yes we we're queer baiting ourselves really quick though to i think define what we mean about queer coding oh yes we did jump right over that one uh, so queer coding. So queer coding specifically, it implies a canonical queer relationship, uh, but the show can't make it canon due to censorship um, or that it's aimed at younger audiences, which is a variation on censorship. So in this case, and specifically with queer coding, the intentions must be clear. And the writers will often go on record saying that this is what it's supposed to mean, but we can't explicitly show it. So the two best examples are obviously Xena and Legend of Korra. Mm. I mean, Xena... So both of these... <laughs> okay, let's park this for just a second. And I, I I have to say this. Xena, the show was so in your face of... Yeah, if you were anywhere in the community, like the amount of smoke signals they were... I can say this. The amount of smoke signals they were sending you... Right. Um. <laughs> so many jokes. Yeah. Yeah. Just so many little things to let you know hey these are these two women they're family that they slid right under the noses of the straight audience it was i still say it's one of the greatest things of all time of a show being like so we can't openly say they're gay no okay so we'll just show everybody see the thing is is like you can ask straight people who like the show whether or not they thought that Zeta and Gabrielle were gay for each other. And it's funny because, like, you have, like, two answers. You either get the answer where they just sort of, like, smile and laugh and go, <laughs> yeah, because they get it. Or you have the straight people who are just like, I didn't see this at all. I have no idea where this is coming from. That's Whatever so gave you that idea? This is my mother, by the way. Whatever gave you that idea? Have you even watched Zena? I thought you didn't. Or did you, like, a long time ago? Uh, I did not, but my parents would sometimes watch it, specifically because when we would go up to my grandmother's house, she lives up in the middle of nowhere, uh. and so you didn't have the good cable, so you only had, like, public access, and so you basically had, like, Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman, Xena, and Hercules. <laughs> oh, man, Dr. Wow. Quinn, I remember that. I just gave a bunch of people grandma's house. Oh, you know? my God. Wow. <laughs> my parents wouldn't let me watch Xena. You know, that's... Women fighting is bad. Plus, you know, there might be spiritual <laughs> stuff. Zena, Buffy was definitely out of the question. So. Saturday afternoons. It was, well, for a while, whenever Zena was on, we watched Zena. I'm going to tell you right now, Saturday nights in my house was Dr. Quinn medicine woman time. Oh, like, yeah. My mom and I and, like, my dad and brother won't 
they deny it, but like in our family, <laughs> like Saturday night was freaking Dr. Quinn medicine woman time. We're all and, really dating ourselves here. I know. We're also but, getting off topic. Yeah, but Xena, it was something I got to watch growing up. You know, for me, it was really important. My mom just, I don't know that she necessarily saw the queer coding in it, but she knew it was important for me to have, like, a good role model to look at on TV. That's fair. So I got to watch it. But, oh, my goodness, even my little, like not really realizing she liked women baby gay by heart was like I think they like each other I mean literally (laughs) the amount Uh, of times they faked out kissing oh Oh, yeah but really kissing but faked out so it looks like kissing but still kissing come on yeah there's a lot of fan service in that show too like uh, they had that whole alternate story or alternate universe storyline where it was about like them meeting in another universe and falling in love, and um, there were several other like episodes that made very made clear jokes mates. about the fandom. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Anyway, so I don't mean it in a mean way. <laughs> queer coding is generally done um, with positive intent. And it's just a way to try and skirt around censorship. Yeah. And you still yes. see it you still see it kind of frequently in even in shows with queer content that um like you could argue that some of the characters in Steven Universe are queer coded versus being explicitly queer. And like granted you can make an argument that everybody's queer in Steven Universe. In fact most of the fandom kinda does. But like this is a good example of where these two things can kind of exist these things could exist in harmony. Mm-hmm. But queer baiting is the one that we don't want. Yeah. Well, and if we want to do like better examples of queer baiting, like BBC Sherlock. That tongue in oh, cheek. Um, supernatural, I think, with the whole casting <gasps> theme thing. I have once to upon be a time, right? Oh, yeah, Once Upon yeah, a Time. Yeah, Once Upon a Time. Warehouse oh, man, 13. Once Upon a Time is a classic. Yes. I know nothing. You know what's funny about Warehouse 13 and its legacy? I know literally nothing about this show except that it is the most queer baby show ever to have existed. That is, like, literally its place in fandom now. It's <laughs> the legend yeah. of the queer baby. show. I would put Rizzoli and Isles on there, but... Oh yeah, I can't yeah. Because at some point, I honestly don't think the showrunners understood. <laughs> like, partly, like... I really don't think they got it. <laughs> oh God, Rizzoli, the writers of Rizzoli and Isles. It's just it feels like having a conversation with your very straight mother, where she's like, "But I just don't understand how why you can't just be friends." Or my yeah. other favorite, well, all women think that their friends are pretty. <laughs> Yeah, I'm wondering. Oh, it's and like Dana's mother on the L word saying, "We all have feelings for our friends." It doesn't mean you have to act on it. Yes, and you're just like, "Oh, honey." Except your yeah. mother actually kind of was gay, which made it even funnier. Yes. <laughs> so I mean, I I still count it, but I kind of don't count it because you kind of have to have an awareness to know that you're mocking it. That's true, yeah. And when we say mocking, like, we're especially talking about, like, like remember, God, I hope some of you are old enough to remember this. Remember, like, when Sweeps Week was, Sweeps Week was still a thing before DVRs were a big deal? Mm-hmm. And, like, they would have, like, the Sweeps Week kiss. 
I've like, heard think, about it, yeah. I'm pretty sure that Friends did this at some point, because Friends did everything. But, like, it would be an event. Like, to see two women kiss on TV, like, you would watch a, you would watch a sitcom that was aimed at people 20 years older than you that you had never watched a single episode of because you saw in the advertisements, like, that two, two women were going in for a kiss, and you didn't know whether or not they were actually going to do it, and you knew it was going to be played for laughs, but you sucked your butt down to watch that stupid show anyway. Because that's all you had. <sighs> yeah. I'm not bitter. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> so, I think, though, moving along, uh, before we get sucked down in a nostalgia rabbit hole, um, I think we've <laughs> evolved to the point um, where we have that queer baiting alongside canon representation, though, because we see these straight writers, and they kind of see LGBT characters as interchangeable. Yeah. Yep. So it's like they think having one means you don't have to include a different kind of LGBT character. It's like this one size fits all thing where it's like we we've made progress, but we've only gone up to a certain point. We have our token gay person now, so we've done enough. Yeah, and Lisa, some of your favorite shows. Oh sure boy. This. Would you like to tell us about some of them? I would love to tell you about some of these. Um, did we did we mention Fiona earlier? I know she was in the outline, but I don't think no, yeah, I don't think we actually mentioned shameless. it. Yeah, shameless. Shameless is a huge offender for this. Um, I'm especially salty right now because uh, this past year was the eighth season, right, Elizabeth? Yes, correct. Yeah, so in season eight. Shame on me. This is either the third or fourth time this has happened, and I still every time <laughs> think they're finally going to do it. Okay, they keep doing this thing where they put Fiona, who is the female protagonist. They keep pairing her with these women who she has a lot of chemistry with. Often they're queer or they, like, hit on her or something. And it's, like, it, it's it's this thing that, like, it has tension throughout the season, and you're kind of like, okay, well, is this going to go anywhere? And then it never actually does. It's, like, a full season at a time, too. It's not even just, like, a quick little thing where a woman hits on her and she's like, sorry, I'm inexplicably straight. And then the show drops it. Bafflingly straight, as I like to say. <laughs> yes, bafflingly straight. Especially Fiona. Oh, yeah, I know. Considering the awful men that she's dated, I'm just, anyway. So, she should have at least tried it by now, let's put it that way. I know, right? But, and then, like... And season eight, they're, like, weirdly aggressive about it, too, because Nessa yeah. is sort of always up in Fiona's business. She's constantly complaining to her about how awful her relationship is, even though that her and her partner are looking to have children. Like, clearly that relationship is on the rocks. And, like, in a normal universe, this feels like Nessa's going to jump ship to Fiona, and then that's going to cause a bunch of drama. Like, and considering yes. Shameless loves this kind of drama, this... It feels weird that it doesn't happen because this is exactly the kind of like ridiculous oh, dramatic exactly. thing that the show would do. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it feels like this season was especially bad because it almost felt like it was making fun of you for thinking it was going to happen. It felt like they kept doing this lead up. Is it gonna? Are they gonna? Are they gonna? And then they had Nessa just invite or, uh, or say to Fiona, hey, I'll set you up. Uh, I'll have this carpenter come over and work on your door. And then Fiona ends up hooking up with the weird Irish carpenter. The carpenter and who is also the biological father right. 
of, of Vanessa and, and Mel's children, which is even further fucked up. Yeah, I was gonna say like this, like this whole, like this whole poly, this poly trapezoid is not complicated enough. So, which is what it should be, instead of like all of this drama. Like they even have drama between Fiona and Ford, the the guy, because Ford Ford is a, he does um, sperm donation for a couple of gay couples, which is like cool. But like the show makes such a big deal out of it, I was like, what are why are they even going down this path if they're not going to commit to it? I don't know. I mean, I didn't really understand that storyline at all. He just seemed kind of like the the guy of the year that they're going to put Fiona with. But okay, <laughs> another thing that was going on uh, earlier this season though was remember how the, the season started with Fiona looking at a guy, a certain part of a guy, and saying, "You know what? I think I'll pass." Yeah, because last season she was doing this whole like, oh, I'll do Tinder, whatever. She had that girl saying, oh, you need to be boning on the regs. So yeah, she was doing the Tinder thing. And then she decided, you know what, this isn't for me. I want like an actual relationship with sharing and things. And then like, right after that, she meets Nessa. And this is exactly the kind of relationship that they have, except they don't have sex. Goes see, anywhere. I don't know. Okay, but see, that's a good distinction because the also that you're right because the narrative of the show also seems to support it, which is like yeah. this. Is, and this is the problem with like say like Once Upon a Time that the narrative of the show, like, and really this is the writer's fault for writing it this way because because they set up this rivalry, but they also in, like made them respect each other, and then they gave them a child in common, and then uh. they're baffled. Yeah, so then it's like then they're baffled by. The fact that this would kind of come across as a little queer to certain parts of the audience. Like, it's just really funny to me that it just never occurred to them that this is a way that this could possibly be interpreted. Oh, I'm pretty sure for, for, uh, sure for Shameless that they did that on purpose. Oh, by now with Shameless, it's very clear that it is a queer bait. And it's frustrating because the show has positive man-loving man representation. Well, I don't know. Yes. Like, it's... Well, kind of positive. <laughs> Your mileage may vary on how you feel about Ian. I mean, I love I loved Ian and Mickey as fucked up as it was, so. I should say, like, I, I, like, I like Ian for how real he is, but I don't like him because he's a very frustrating character to exactly. like. Exactly. I hate him as a person, but I'm glad that he exists. Yes, I'm glad that he exists. Ian is valid, but Ian is also a jerk. He's a big jerk. So, I, okay, I really don't watch Shameless, obviously, because I've just let you two go on to it. But, I mean, there's other shows that do this. Yes. Oh, hang on. Before we move on, I want to talk about Veronica and Svetlana. Okay. Oh, right. This is important, too. Because, yes. yeah, this was happening this year, too. So, for anybody who doesn't watch it, a.k.a. Corey, um, basically, Svetlana was this character who was introduced in, like, season three. She ended up actually getting married to Mickey, who is Ian's boyfriend, because he got her pregnant because she was a sex worker. Anyway, it's a long story. It's a long story. But in any case, she ended up in a thruple with Veronica and her boyfriend-slash-husband person, Kevin. Um, because she fake married, or, well, no, she actually real married Veronica so that she could stay in the country, even though they weren't technically together, but then they ended up sleeping together, so then they were all together, and that was fine. It was this, th- this cute relationship, it was sort of like this relationship of convenience that evolved into a real relationship, and I actually Yeah, really and it was actually this. really cute. Yeah, yeah. like, I, I liked this up until this season. <laughs> yeah, this season they really messed it up. So at at the end of last season, basically Svetlana, she did something that was basically a big betrayal to me and Kevin. She didn't see it that way, but they did. And so she got thrown out of the house. And this season, she kind of, she ended up like 
back involved with them, but not really sleeping with them, but that she did end up sleeping with Veronica a few times. And there's this arc this season of Veronica trying to figure out why she was attracted to Svetlana. And she was, you know, even saying to Fiona, like, I don't get it. You're really hot and I'm not gay for you. Like, I can't be gay, right? I can't be bi. I gotta be straight. And then Fiona said, oh, well, it's really obvious, V. You just like being dominated. This was really frustrating. (laughs) It was terrible because it then led to this thing where Veronica was trying to get Kevin to figure out how to be dominant which, like, he's not at all normally. But when she convinced him to be into it, he was suddenly, like, acting like a total douche alpha male, which I really hated. And as soon as this happened, Svetlana was gone, essentially. Because as soon as she could get Kevin to act that way, she didn't need Svetlana anymore. There was nothing left in it for her. And it was just, like, really frustrating because it felt extremely disrespectful to the relationship and to, like, the queer female audience. Well, but the implication is that... If you're a queer woman, you must find all women attractive. Yes, yeah. there's that too. And also, just like, like way too. Can't invali- she just like one person? Like that's allowed. Also, like way to invalidate this relationship that's been going on for like two or three solid seasons now. Yeah, and even before that, because there was that thing in season four when Kevin and Veronica were broke up, and Svetlana kind of slept with both of them. Yeah, it's almost like a re- it's like a retroactive queer bait. This is just really funny to yeah. talk about this particular example. I know that it is really sort of odd when it's almost like this. It actually no, no homo. Yeah, it is like it was like a three season queer bait. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't even feel like a queer bait until they said no. Never mind, this doesn't count. It's not really gay. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. Shameless dropped the ball. We need to move on. Okay, we'll move on. Uh, okay, so. I'll move on to a couple more examples. Orphan Black. So here's another queer-friendly show. Uh, One of the main characters is a lesbian. She has a girlfriend. Um, Is it the one played by Tatiana Maslany? Yeah, Tatiana Maslany. Bless her soul. (laughs) I mean, she's wonderful. And, like, she's very supportive of the queer community. And the show supposedly is... um, (laughs) Okay, so there was this whole big drama where at the end of season three, they shot Kasima's girlfriend. And for most of season four, we didn't know whether or not she was alive. So some people saw this as like, oh, it's another dead lesbian, dead bi woman type thing. This is kind of why I drifted away from the show, to be completely honest. I don't think I got all the way through season four. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, the show really went downhill after season two. So I mean... I concur. Yeah, so, like, I get why some people would have left anyway, but it just, it got on my nerves because people got, like, really angry, and they were like, oh, well, no, we're leaving the show because they only cared about Delphine. And I was just like, well, what about Cosima? Isn't Cosima enough for you? Like, she's an important character, but thing is, Cosima wasn't actually really enough for me because I don't identify with Cosima that much, Um, and I will get into that later. But there's... You would agree with me, right, Elizabeth, that Sarah Manning feels kind of queer? Sarah Mer- Manning feels really queer, and, like, I gotta be honest, it's sort of, she's bafflingly straight. Yeah. Like, we're just gonna coin this term. We're just gonna coin this term now. Bafflingly straight. I've already coined it. I put it in my atypical review. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but, but no, yeah, so, to be fair, in season four, Sarah Manning did have this hookup with a male-female couple. 
uh, she was really drunk and off her tits on coke and also behaving in like really maladaptive ways because she was upset about something. Um, so it didn't really feel like very positive rep anyway. It was fine, but they never went back and actually said at any point later, yes, Sarah is bi or pan. They just, they never acknowledged it. Tatiana Maslany said, oh yeah, she is, but it was never put in the show. Uh, and this actually also happened in the same episode where we found out that Delphine might actually be alive. So to me, this felt kind of like trying to placate the gays. <laughs> Does that make sense? It it does actually. Yeah. No, yeah, and this so... is like, it, but on. this is actually pretty typical of like the format. And like, and I actually, I have a lot of issues with this sort of representation, like with bi women, because I feel yeah. like it. I feel like it does a disservice, because often when when a creator or an actor says, "I had," basically what they're saying is, "I had canon. This character is bi," because it's not canon because you didn't write it into the script. Mm-hmm. And if it's just the actor who says it again, it's a head canon. It's their interpretation of authorial intent. That doesn't mean that that actually is what was written into the script. Yeah. Like, this is important. Canon is canon is canon. It has one meaning. If it's not written in, it's not canon. But my issue with this, though, is that often care you know, and you did mention that like you don't feel represented by Kasima, and that's actually an important thing because that plays into this is that a lot of characters that I see that are queer baited are that people seem to feel are queer baited tend to not be the same types of characters that are canani- are typically canonically queer. Precisely. Yeah. Uh, can I give another quick example of this kind of character before we move on or how much time do we have? Um, quickly. I do want to make okay. a point. So. Okay. Oh, a point. Okay. Uh, no, so another character or another show that has kind of done this is The Fosters. So they have a lot of queer content, actually. The two moms are gay and Jude, one of the kids, is gay. Um, actually, when you guys said that thing about a couple of, uh, about a couple of girls, like, having a kiss for last, it actually reminded me of something that happened this past season with Mariana and Emma, who were friends. They had, like, a kiss that was played for laughs. But in any case, the, the character that has always felt kind of queer is Callie. Um, and she is this girl who went to juvie because she and her brother who were in the foster care system were with this guy and then the guy like beat up her brother and you know so she's this kind of like scrappy hood rat character and in this past season they had this character Jimena who she was friends with and they hit oh my god they hit all of these like gay stereotypes with these two so they had this episode where they, they were like playing roller derby together and then cuddling oh my god and, oh my uh, god. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And in in episode 12, I think, Jimena actually kisses Callie, and then it's never actually mentioned. So Is it just, can, like, is it just never mentioned again? It, yeah, it hasn't really been mentioned. Like, you can see there's still kind of some weird tension between them about it, and there is actually this scene in another episode where... Uh, they're talking about the guy that Callie was most recently with, and Jimena says, oh, he wouldn't wait for you, and Callie said, well, I can't expect him to. And then Jimena said, I'd wait forever for you. And then Brandon, fucking Brandon, walks in and, and this just the isn't... moment. No, but, like, but this is funny, because this feels like a flashback to, like, ten years ago, because it's, like, was this never brought up again? Like, that... Like, I think, uh, Corey, we had, we had made a joke about this in a podcast a while back, about how, like, they have these moments happen, and then, like, 
in real life, if you did that to a friend and they ended up being straight or, like, you ended up not being into each other... You would like, talk about it. Yeah, that's, like, an hour-long conversation mm-hmm. minimum. And it's so weird that they will do something like this and then just think that it would never come up again. Okay, so to be fair, The Fosters has three episodes left. They have, like, this finale event in the summer, and then there is this spin-off show about Callie and Mariana. So I have a feeling... Either they are setting this up for that future show, or they are trying to get queer viewers to come over to that show because Callie and Mariana are both straight. <laughs> so it's like, I feel like we're being queer baited into another show at this point. That's actually really funny. We're it so is. Predictable. Okay, I mean, the thing is, I because it is this kind of a show that just has so much positive queer representation and is honestly, like, really... This show is really smart and really politically good in the sense that, like, they examine all kinds of topics from different angles, and they're really smart about things. Like, I just, I love the way that that show runs itself, even if I don't find it the most compelling, just personally. Um, But yeah, so I was really surprised that this happened by this. Like, I honestly thought this show would not do this to me. (laughs) And now it might have, so... We're going to have to wait and see what happens in the finale, but they did a huge time jump in the last episode, and the Jimena thing was never mentioned, so I don't know. Yeah, I guess we'll find out. Yes. Corey, you were sitting on something? A point. Well, I wanted you guys to get done with the uh, on-show talk about queerbait, because I do want to bring up um, how media queerbaits us. Uh, Should we finish our thing first and then come back to this? Uh, yeah, um, we can. We can. If you can wrap it up, <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay, I, I'm sorry. I had no idea how much time we had left. Um, we just want to make sure that Corey doesn't forget her point in the. the Corey, write it down. <laughs> no, I've got it written down. We're good. Okay, perfect. So okay, let's wrap this up. Yeah, basically, the common thread in these characters is what bothers me a lot. So a lot of these characters have this thing in common where they are this scrappy white hood rat female lead who kicks ass and they give off these hella bi vibes. Um, I mean, actually, I kind of feel like Winona Earp, in a sense, feels this way, too. Um, <laughs> like, it, they don't super, super queerbait her. They kind of give you hints of her with Nicole and Mercedes. But, you know, I guess I don't even know what to call that. That kind of feels like fan service, but... I call it shipper goggles. I don't think it's supported by canon, but, like, honestly, part of it is that I desperately want Winona to be bi, so... Yeah. Yeah, okay, so here's the thing. It's the relatability thing. Yeah. So, for me especially, um, I am a white hood rat, so it's very frustrating to me that there are all of these women who, who I identify with so much... And they seem like they could be queer, and then it never actually happens. And it, quite often they tease that it might happen, and then it doesn't. Meanwhile, there are all of these characters, as you mentioned, Elizabeth, that do exist that are queer. And they're mostly, like, white, nerdy, educated lesbians from upper and middle class upbringings. The <laughs> so, first like, time. Cosima, Delphine, Emily from The Handmaid's Tale, all of these. The first they're time you mentioned this. The first time you mentioned this to me, I wanted to dispute it, and then I started thinking of all of my favorite lesbian characters, and I realized that, like, I absolutely couldn't. Because I was about to say, like, well, Alex Alex Danvers went to- Alex Danvers went to Stanford for grad school, (laughs) and is a DEO agent, and grew up in a gorgeous beach house, or, like, gorgeous house in- like, it's clearly supposed to be in California, so that house probably cost a couple million. So, like- 
I mean, Maggie Sawyer, I think, could be considered somebody who was a little more relatable. Um, yes, but yeah, she's she, not on the show anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, also, uh, she's she's not white, and I don't want to be a dick here. Like, Let's, obviously, okay, we can I'm have all stop, kinds I'm of gonna, people. I'm going to stop you right there. We're not having that conversation in this episode. Uh, okay. The um, point, we're talking about, we're, we're talking about class issues. I but, just wanted to go back to what Shahar was saying last time, actually, about how everybody can have the person who represents them. That's all. Yes. Um, and, like, yeah, we, we can definitely have people from all kinds of races. I just mean, like, yeah, there there are very few, in general, like, poor lesbians on TV. Like, even in the L Word, there was, like, you know, Shane and Jenny were really the only sort of poor-ish ones. So. And even then, they didn't necessarily live within realistic means either. No, they did not. They did not seem as poor as they were supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, Shane definitely early on, they sort of had that dialed in correctly. Although then you have to sort of ask, how did she become friends with these other women? Because they have absolutely um, nothing in common. Because she's hot and every friend group has to have the hot one? I don't know. We All can right. talk about the L word later. That is obviously... We've, we've <laughs> talked about the L word lots. We, we don't need yes. to. Um, yes. But yeah, in any case, it's just the whole thing about feeling like there are these particular particular types of characters who they are teasing might be queer, and then they never actually are confirmed. So. Yes. Yeah. And there seems to be a pattern to this. There's but, a very uh, much a pattern. That's what I was trying to say. But, Corey, you wanted to talk about media and queerbaiting. Yes. Um, okay, I'm going to shift gears, and I'm going to go into media and how they queerbait us for money. <laughs> um, Kai actually had an article, I think it was last week that came out, uh, that, sh you know, kind of touched on it. But I do think a lot of medias, especially at least websites, have realized, you know, we're great for ad revenue. We are yeah. fantastic for ad revenue. And it manifests in a variety of ways, but one of the ways we see it being queerbaited a lot is with the polls. Like the shit <laughs> polls. Oh, I yeah. Hate, I hate these things so much. And I'm, I'm going to say this. Uh, Sahar has said this. Kai has said this. I've said this. Those polls mean jack shit. They are not going to affect your show. At the most... You might get, like, that one time with Glee when uh, Diana Agron and Leah Michelle took a cute photo together. That's the most you're going to get out of this. The showrunners <laughs> don't give a flying fuck. I'm, Man, I'm, it is so funny to think that that was, like, a big deal five yeah. years ago. <laughs> the showrunners oh, don't give a God. flying fuck. But no, the media don't. people, and I know I'm sounding like Rush Limbaugh here, uh, media websites... They like to play it up as like, yeah, you're showing them what you want. You can, you know, affect some change or something. That's bullshit. The reason they set these is because every time you go visit and vote, you're loading their page and you load their ads. And you get clicks per impression just for showing up on that page. Not, not that we don't think that you should view ads. Please do. We need. We, yes. We need no. To no. Please don't block ads. You know that's part of where our revenue comes from. But the point. But we being, don't. But we don't ask you to repeatedly slam the same page over and over again for two weeks straight in order to help your exactly. air quotes help your ship win a poll. We're not trying to take your time and money on a meaningless poll. If you come to our site, we want you to read our content that we spend a lot of time on crafting mm -hmm. we're not trying to throw up a poll 
to get y'all to come in here and smash a button that Zazu or whatever that most recent poll going on the first round they had like 80,000 votes oh my god they are literally doing this to get the ad revenue and I will go to my grave saying this is a form of queer baiting because it's not done in a way that is gonna give you that queer content it's done in a way to churn up a fan base and get them to come and vote so they think they're making a difference in something. It also makes Tumblr really annoying. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I, you know why I hate poll season? I hate poll season because Tumblr, Tumblr relies upon the tagging system in order for you to find content that is relevant to you. And during poll season, every you can't single, escape them. Yeah, every it's single cross-tagged. TV, yeah, every single TV show is cross-tagged. Every single TV show, it's just, like, non-stop posts in the tag about, help us win this poll, and I'm just like, how many people do I have to block in a week? Well, even on, like, stuff that has no, that's, wasn't even on the poll, that's very far out, like certain fandoms I'm in, one popped up the other day, we'd been mercifully clear from it, and then one popped up, Hey, fellow fandom, you want to come vote for, I think it was like Sanvers or something. No, it was Supercore, I think. And I, I might call that write obscure. a fic for y'all, and I'm like, fuck you. Get out of my tag <laughs> and get out of my fandom. I know. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. It was, an, it was a tag invasion then. Yeah. And oh, I'm, okay. I know I'm, th- I'm like cranky old lady on the lawn here, but I'm like, stop invading other fandoms trying to bribe them with in case like, you think we're picking on supercore way hot does this too yeah and it's, it's I've everybody seen, who was in seen, i think it was like yeah. a swan queen thing was involved i mean trying to bribe people with like very hastily written fic to win a ship poll that means it's meaningless you have better things to do with your time and i i swear i think this is queer baiting I think like look fan like fanfic authors like don't 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 do don't unless you already wanted to write a bunch of one shots like don't put extra work out there don't make extra work for yourself for this purpose like you're basically working for free for these media conglomerates if you're doing this like we're already working for free sweetie yes but like this is sort of above and beyond just reblogging stuff and talking about a show that you like this is like actual labor <laughs> This fanfic takes it takes time and energy to write fan like it, this, I feel like this is just a level of labor beyond just being like hey vote for this this is like like think about what you're doing and why you're doing it and who it is that you're supporting while you're doing it because all you're doing is driving again traffic to that site for a poll that the showrunners don't give a damn about and the actors probably only care if you reach the finals and they've been spammed on their social media until they can't ignore it like here's the thing about actors caring about queer rep they only care as much as they are capable of caring and that's that's going to be a different amount for everybody mm. and like kind of dragging them out into the spotlight with these things and forcing them to make big sweeping statements is kind of of unfair it is unfair yeah like asking them who they ship is like it's just it's a no-win situation yeah don't do that guys don't do that because and here's the other thing they aren't really allowed to answer that question honestly anyway yeah they're not like 
they have to answer according to what the network wants them to say. So, like, it's sort of pointless to ask because you're not going to get an honest answer, I suppose, is the point. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, like, don't put people on the spot. You know. Yeah. I would be so uncomfortable. <laughs> this is actually Basic a good decency. thing to bring up because Plexicon is coming up. Which yeah. one of your co-workers do you want to mac on? Oh, by the oh way, you're surrounded God. by them. That's, that's that's awkward. I feel like if you can separate the character from like okay, here's the thing. If you could separate the character from who you are as a person, that's different cuz you could talk about like cuz actors tend to be able to talk about the characters till the cows come home because ultimately the character is their creation and you know, you can do whatever mm-hmm. you want with it. Like some of it has to do with how the question is phrased. Like don't ask people about real life ships, just don't. But Never. like real life ships don't go down that rabbit hole lisa don't go down that rabbit hole no i mean i know that exists but people actually ask i can't believe people would actually ask actors about that but okay yeah yeah all right but anyway also like don't queer bait yourself (laughs) if the show is like very obviously not going to go there like it's not the show's not queer baiting you just because they're not giving you the ship you want Right. There's a difference also, like, the- with what you guys talked about with Shameless and with a show that is just very obviously, like, they never planned on it. They have their plans already written. It's just not in the cards for whichever characters. They're not queer baiting you. Or rather they, I don't know, with Shameless, like, what they do with Fiona in that, sp- the, the most recent season, that specific example, I would say, yes, that is queer baiting. Right, but, I'm talking about. I'm not talking about Shameless. I'm talking about other shows that like fandom likes to migrate into sometimes. <laughs> all right, that is so I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something else about Supercore. The point, and this is not saying that the ship is invalid or that I, I again, it's a your mileage may vary thing. But here's the thing: the point at which the writers had Lena and Kara sit down and have that conversation about their favorite boy bands. That was the point at which the writers were saying to you, "This is never going to be canon." Because, actually, I remember, who was it? It was Mara Wilson, the girl who played Matilda. Is that what that was about? I was wondering why she made that post. I don't know if she was making this about this specifically, but this was sort of funny because she made that joke where, like, if you ask a woman what boy band she was into as a kid, a straight woman will always have a very, very solid answer. And queer women often tend to sort of, "Mm," they didn't really care much about that, which is funny because I was like, wow, that's actually really brilliant. Um... But then there's that, that scene with Kara and Lena are having a conversation about who was the hottest in NSYNC, and I'm just like, oh and God. they're straight. Like, that was the moment where, like, I, I was kind of on my way out of the ship already, but, like, that was the point where I was like, oh, no, they feel straight to me now. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's just my Arf. point is, I mean, we're not trying to bash Supercorp. It's just our point is there is a difference between very real queer baiting that's being done and fans crying queer baiting when they're not getting their way yeah so that's the other thing is like we we need to be better about this is gonna sound terrible don't pull the queer bait card if the show Ah. clearly had no intention of making this canon you can't like also like there's a difference between what shameless does where it like intentionally plays off of this for laughs versus Supergirl, where, like, honestly, I've said this before, Katie McGrath doesn't blink a lot when she acts, and she just has weirdly intense chemistry with literally anybody she talks to. So, like, (laughs) 
Like, please, like, just, just, like, you could still ship this if you want. It's just, I don't know, be a little nicer about it. <laughs> I know it sounds like we pick on Supercore a lot, but quite frankly, it's just because Corey and I watch Supergirl. That's our primary fandom. And right. so this is the best example we have. It's the one that we feel we're the most familiar with. Because I don't feel right. If you right... are one from another fandom, there, like, there's also basically anything to do with Raven Reyes. That's true, yes. Because Although people I'm... act like, oh, that's Query Bang. But it's like, really? They haven't ever really given you an, a hint that that is going to happen. It's just that Lindsay Morgan has chemistry with every other female on that show. She has chemistry with most people, I have to yeah. be honest. She, she also yep, has that. Too. I was going to say, she also sort of has that scrappy, the scrappy hood rat vibe that you like. Yeah, no, that. you know what? Yeah, she, she's kind of another example of that kind of character that feels like she should be queer, but she's not. So, yeah, exactly. but the show yeah. hasn't presented her. Exactly. That so, way. yeah, that, that's that's different. But she is another example of that type of character that, like, I wish they could be queer because I identify with her rough mm-hmm. upbringing and stuff. Sure. But, like. You don't get on Tumblr and write up a 10k rant about how dare the show not make this canon. Like, Oh no, of course there's not. A cer- there's a certain level of personal maturity you must possess about this sort of thing. I mean, whatever, it's fine that Clark and Lexa were both sort of, you know, coming from privilege. Whatever, I'm not bitter, so... <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not going... No, we're not going down that rabbit no, hole. We're I'm not laughing going down that hole, I'm just saying... I'm laughing because every time you bring up a new example, I'm just like, I hate everything, because you're usually right. <laughs> God damn it. Anyways. Oh, you admit it, I'm usually right. That's so sweet of you. I know. Okay, you too. Um, <laughs> we're gonna wrap this up. Um, queer baiting is still a thing. Yes. But there's a difference between fan service, queer coding, and queer baiting. And also, you know, be aware that the media tries to queer bait you too. You know, for your ad dollars, or even just for your traffic. Yeah. And, like, you could even see in this conversation that we had some disagreement on the differences between between the different, the different things. Like, mm-hmm. there is some ambiguity to it. Like, really, more... More what we want to, we sort of want to impart is that you should be mindful of what the intentions of the writers are, and right. or the intentions of the media company, and just sort of think about whether or not you want to support what they're trying to do. Like, it's not, I mean, it, I don't want to argue for the non-existence of fan service and that sort of thing in queer coding. It's just, like, when these, my my larger point is, is that this should be a discussion, not just stamping a label on something and yep. then, and then right. never talking about it again. Like, we need to, to be more open about discussing these concepts instead of using them as value judgments. We have to have real discourse, not Tumblr discourse. Yes, yes. Right. academic discourse. Yeah. Okay, well, that is wrapping up the time we have for tonight. Um, quick plug, we are going to be at Klexicon. Oh, yeah. yeah. Las Vegas. All three of us. Several of us are actually going to be there, but yes, all three of us. Yes, and our friends at the our friends from the fundamentalists, Gretchen and Kylie, and also uh, Griffin will be coming and along. Kristen and Kristen will be here as well. Um, the rest of them are going to be doing panels. I will not because that is not my thing. Um, Corey will be manning the table. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of that, uh, we are going to have a table there in addition to like half of our staff being there as panelists. <laughs> um. Hello, Ellen. And we will be and we'll be doing another podcast, won't we? Yes. We will be recording a podcast <laughs> Not- there, but 
that'll be scheduled at its usual time. But do visit uh-huh. us, though. We're going to be booth number 130. We have stickers and buttons. <laughs> yes. We have rare and, uh, ship buttons, actually. We have rare ship buttons, to be specific. So if rare rare pairs are your thing, hit up our table at 130. We probably have something for you. Yeah, and we'll be changing out which of the editors are sitting at the table. So, mm-hmm. you know, stop by several times and discuss all your favorite ships with us. But on that note, it's time for us to go. We will be back next time. Um, we'll probably be what we recorded at Klexicon, so that should be fun. <laughs> It'll be a very special episode. Yes. Very special episode. Um, Thank you guys for tuning in. Be sure to check out our other podcasts, The Fandamentalists, um, Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics, and Unabashed Book Snobbery. And please uh, like and subscribe to us on iTunes. We also like that traffic uh, over there. Um, Traffic (laughs) does make the world go round. And also comment. We like hearing from you guys. Let us know what you think about queer rating. Please do. Yay. We love feedback. It validates us. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time. Y'all have a good one.